All right, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? It's good to be with you. Thanks for being here. Um, In the summer of 1993, the American action thriller The Fugitive was released in theaters across our country. And it starred, if you remember, um, Harrison Ford played Dr. Uh, Richard Kimball. And also starring was fellow Texan, Tommy Lee Jones, right? You remember he played the U.S. Marshal. Uh, Samuel Garrard, and if you have seen that movie, you remember that he was wrongfully accused of the murder of his wife, was Ford. And so from the time he's in jail and he somehow escapes custody during the movie, and then the movie is all about him now on his uh, endeavor to go and prove that he was not the one who murdered his wife. And if you remember, he gets injured during the process throughout the movie. And he has to go back to Chicago where he's from. He breaks into the hospital to patch up his wounds. And then he starts going through the files, right? He has to change the way he looks and he begins shaving. And so no one will recognize him because at this point he is a fugitive wanted and his face is all over TV, right? And so everyone knows what he looks like. So he changes his appearance. And Tommy Lee Jones and these U.S. Marshals are now for the rest of the movie trying to track him down. To bring him back into custody. If you remember that one scene where he runs, he jumps out like the end of the sewer, like into this rushing waterfall. Uh, it was a massive, massive jump. It was a cool part of the movie, but I remember this movie particularly because in the summer of 93, it was actually, and I'm dating myself now, so actually the first time that my wife Jojo and I went to see a movie together as a dating couple. Yeah, we went in August of 1993 to Tomball Cinema 6. Tomball. Yeah, you guys remember Cinema 6? Tomball Cinema 6 was like you had to tiptoe through the aisles so you didn't step on gum and caramel popcorn and spilled Coke everywhere, right? You had to make sure you had a light to see that you didn't sit down in something when you sat down. They've improved it since then, but now we've got IMAX and all these wonderful theaters. But back then it was JoJo and I going to see this 945 showing. 16 years old, we get into this movie, it was great, and about halfway through the movie, my spiritual gift kicks in, sleeping, yeah, I fall asleep halfway through the movie, any of you guys have that spiritual gift of falling asleep in movies, yeah, raise your hand, I know some of you have a spiritual gift of falling asleep during sermons, so I'm watching for you right now, I'm I'm looking for you today, but no, man, that movie grips us, and it, and it reminds me of where we are today as we continue in our series, The Psalm and the Psalmist today, as David finds himself in Psalm chapter 13, holed up in a cave, a fugitive on the run from a crazed out King Saul, running from King Saul. And how we got to Psalm 13, I encourage you to go back this week and just remind yourself, familiarize yourself in First Samuel, beginning in First Samuel 16, you'll see that David is anointed by the priest Samuel as the future king of Israel. It's a private anointing. And then from here, David kind of uh, begins his ascent, if you will. From here, he's, you know, Saul was, the presence of God had left Saul. He was going crazy and mad. So there's like, hey, we need to bring some musicians in here to play some worship. So they bring David in. He becomes like the king Saul's Matt Redman, his own personal worship leader into the palace, right? And from here, David is now made the armor bearer for King Saul. After this, in in 1 Samuel 17, David goes out and he's that epic day where he slays the giant, slays Goliath, the Philistine. 
from there, shortly after, you see in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel that, you know, Jonathan and David become BFFs. They're best friends for life, right? The intimacy of their relationship goes beyond more than what I could even imagine as a friendship to this day that I look through my life, that friend that's closer than a brother. From here, David then is anointed as the general of Saul's armies. And being anointed as general, he has multiple successes and he continues to have significant conquests. So much so that when David would come back into the city, the the people of Israel would would cry out, and the women particularly would say, man, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain ten thousands. And so at this point, King Saul, man, he's outraged, and he becomes overwhelmed with jealousy. And it's from this point in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, in verse 10, that he puts a hit out on David as he tries himself to murder David. If you remember, he shoots an arrow, and David uses his matrix skills to shift aside and escape. And that pretty much is the rest of King Saul's life, trying to murder David. So all the way from chapter 18, verse 10, through the end of 1 Samuel 31, is King Saul, to the end of his life, trying to murder King David. And so David is a fugitive. He's on the run. He's escaping, and he's hiding out in what was a familiar place in the cave of Adullam. And that's where we find ourselves today in chapter 13. So if most of us in here, we haven't experienced a time where we've been on the run from, let's say, the president of the United States coming after us, maybe the IRS, that can be something that we can relate to. But no leader or king or president of a country coming after us But we can relate to where David is here. We've all experienced this place in life. If you've lived long enough, if you've experienced living in this broken world, you know that life is going to overwhelm you. And you're going to experience this night, death, dark night of the soul. It's a time where you feel abandoned, where you feel in despair, depressed, overwhelmed, overcome by doubt and fear. It's a place that's real. It's a place that, you know, David finds himself today as we enter into this. And what I want us to take away today as we look at chapter 13 is we learn from our brother David is when we can't trace God, will we choose to trust him? When God, when it appears that God has forgotten us, when it appears that we're all by ourselves, that we're all alone in our despair. Will we trust that God still fights for us? Let's jump in here. If you have your Bibles, if you have uh, smartphones, we'll have it on the screen as well. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available. So make sure and grab one of those. The Word of God is life and light to us. And it's important that we engage in reading the Word. And it's important here as a church that we grow in the grace and knowledge of God through active reading of His Word. So let's look at it here in chapter 13. We'll read all the way through just six verses today. Jump in here in verse 1. David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. 
lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can trust you, God, even when we can't trace you. Lord, I pray today that you would minister to us through your word, that Holy Spirit, you come now, that you proclaim truth, that you open our eyes to see you, that you open our ears to hear what you're saying, you open our hearts to believe, our minds to comprehend all that you have for us today. We love you. It's for your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we recognize here in Psalm chapter 13 in the first two verses is that this struggle is real, right? You realize that living in a fallen, broken world, the struggle is a real thing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities that war in the utter darkness, right? And that's what the scripture teaches us. And so our struggle as followers of Jesus, just like David, is to believe what God says is true about us. And so David here, you hear this refrain, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? David is in a place where he's experiencing his world crashing in all around him, culminating to the place of despair. He's at a place where he's full of doubt. On the verge, he feels as if he's on the verge of death, surrounded by Saul's armies in the cave of Adullam. And he says, O God, how long will you leave me? In this place, we've experienced this night of the soul, this dark night that I was talking about. Now, I've experienced it multiple times as we journey in this life with Jesus. There's ebbs and flows of our faith and doubt and the struggle to fight to believe all that we know Jesus has died to give us. But I remember specifically this one time where I can relate to what David is going through when my wife, we have four kids, and the oldest is now 15, but this was when we just had had him and he was like six months old. I was working for Compact Computer at the time. Anybody remember Compact Computer? Yeah, yeah, cool, all right. Yeah, they, they were a pretty big thing back then. I was working there. Um, we had our six-month-old, and they had just been bought out by Hewlett-Packard, right? So during that, when companies buy other companies, they decide they don't need certain people because they have overlap in jobs and all that. So I was one of those lucky ones who they decided to say, hey, bro, we're going to give you three months to go find a job somewhere else, right? So I did that, and then at the same time, um, we, we were struggling. We had made some decisions that were unwise. We had invested our finances un- unwisely and just made some dumb decisions with our finances. And we were at a place where we were like, man, I lost my job. What am I going to do? We have this house, new baby. We had, we had gotten new cars. We had, you know, two, two incomes, no kids, right, before that. And we were just living it unwisely, um, that's a warning to you guys in your 20s. Don't do like I did. Uh, but I was just living that way, and we had to end up selling our home. We had to move back into my parents' house. Wow. Wow, right? So everything we had, all that we had been working and building up was now crashing in around us. We had to take all of our things. We had to pay for storage to put things in storage. All that we owned and all that we had, the only thing that we had enough space for was in the guest room of my parents. So we have my six-month-old son in his crib in the same room with my wife and I in my parents' house. Just want to make sure you're clear as to where I'm at. (laughs) 
Sounds like some of you have been there before and you can relate. So I'm there and I remember I had gotten another job in sales and I'd been working and we were working our way. We had a strategic plan of how we're going to get out of here. I'm going to get out of this place. I'm going to leave and I'm going to cleave to my wife and leave my parents, right? So, so I'm working my plan. I come home that day and the struggle was, had been real, just wearing on my mind. You know, just feeling like I was failing in life, feeling like I just could not get ahead in what I really wanted and what I thought was important in my life. I came home that night one evening, and I was talking to JoJo, and we were talking about just what was going on. And I just remember I was at a place overwhelmed by my situation that I just laid face first on my bed, and I just grabbed my pillow, and I just laid there, and I put my pillow over my head, and all I could do was just cry. I mean, I just sobbed. I could, I could not stop crying. I was just sobbing uncontrollably, like, God, what is going on here? What is happening? Why have you left me here in this place of despair, in this place of just doubt, of utter fear and anxiety that, man, I'm never going to get beyond this. I would rather die than have to go through this. That's where David's at. And I know if you're like me, you guys have walked through certain situations in your life where you've felt the despair that life has thrown at you. You've felt doubt creeping into your mind and into your heart where once you were full of faith, once you were walking strong, you were encouraged by what God was doing in your life. And you find yourself saying, how long, oh Lord? Like David, how long will you leave me here? How long am I going to have to endure counseling myself? Doubt is okay, right? We can doubt. Doubt is part of faith. Without doubt, you can't have faith. You have to push through doubt, and that's part of the journey of following Jesus. So it's okay to express our doubts, right? It's just not okay to camp out there. It's not okay to set up our home there and make our place in our doubts. Because if you set up your home and your place and you camp out and your campsite in doubt, before long, your doubt inevitably turns into despair. It turns into despair. You go from doubting to despair. You're on the verge of just becoming depressed. Because if you think about it, when you're doubting, your doubt is just wearing over your mind your situation, you're rehearsing it. For me, I was rehearsing my circumstance over and over in my mind. It was wearing on me physically. It was wearing on me relationally. It was wearing on me emotionally. It was wearing on me spiritually. I was in a place that was being overwhelmed by my doubt. And this is where David is. And so when we're in this place where we're in a circumstance, we're in a rock, between a rock and a hard place, when we're in a place of despair and doubt, There's two things I want us to remember is that when we're in that place, we see from David that our situation will preach over us something. Our situation will begin to preach something that's opposed to what God's truth says. The first thing that we see here in verse 1 that David rehearses is that he's all alone. So he expresses to God his honest plea. I'm all alone in verse 1. God, you've abandoned me, right? That's what he's feeling. He's giving it back to God. He says, Lord, you've been silent 
I have to counsel myself all the time. You're not giving me any counsel. I'm just hearing my own thoughts. I'm hearing my own voice all the time in my head. Verse 2, again, he's in a place of despair and downcast. He's on the verge of depression here. And then finally, he, in the second part of verse 2, he sees that defeat is starting to set in. As he looks out and he sees surrounded by the armies of Saul, he's in a place of despair. And his eyes are getting weak, right? His eyes are being weakened, he said, and he's crying out to God. Friend today, just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's not there, right? Are you with me on that? Are you tracking? How many of you know that you've been through a situation where it doesn't seem like God is talking to you? It doesn't seem like God is giving you anything from his word. The spirit of God doesn't seem like he's bringing anything to your remembrance. But just because God is silent, we know it doesn't mean that he's not there. God has sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus then said, I must go that I can send you the comforter. If I don't go, I can't send him to you, right? So I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit of God, and he's going to indwell you so that you can live life like I intended you to live, so that you can obey me, that you can follow me, that you can live all that I have in store and all that I've created you to be because of my spirit. So if God is silent today, If you feel like you're not hearing the voice of the Lord, he's still there. Be encouraged. He is still there. Press into him. So we can listen to what our situation preaches to us, or we can choose to rely on what God promises me. We can look at what the promises of God say to us from the word of God. The promises of God, just a couple of them, I want to give them to you today. We know that from the scriptures that God says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Right? Amen. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Look at what he said in Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, this is Moses saying this to the people of Israel. He's getting ready to transition off, and Joshua is getting ready to take over, leading God's people. How many of you know they were, in a lot, they were feeling a lot of fear and doubt and anxiety knowing that Moses, the great Moses, was now transitioning his leadership over to Joshua? He says, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Today I'm telling you the same thing. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you, friend. He will never leave you to despair He has something good for you. He has overcome the world. Look at it with me. John records Jesus' words in John 16, 32 through 33. He has overcome the world. Behold, the hour is coming, Jesus saying. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. Verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How many of you can identify with tribulation this week, this morning, right? Just today, tribulation in this world. We live in a place that's fallen and broken because of sin. And so Jesus gives his disciples just a, a fresh breath of air here. And he says, be of good cheer. You will have trouble. Let not your heart take on trouble. Let not your heart 
stay in the place of trouble. Because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, I can't send him. And I'm going to send you the comforter. The peace of God will come. And he will live and dwell in you. And you will be comforted by the comforter. Finally, we can see in the scriptures recorded also in John is that we can trust God. God makes promises that we can trust. Again, Jesus in John 14, familiar passage probably to a lot of you. Jesus speaking to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He was saying, we're the same. I'm God. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. She says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. If that wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you so. And God is not like a man that he can lie to us, right? What God says, the word of the Lord will stand forever. Scriptures teach us that heaven and earth will pass away. But it's on the word of the Lord that we will stand forever. And the word of God is truth that just we have to ruminate in. We have to stay in when our situation wants to preach despair and doubt and unbelief and depression. Remember the promises of God, friend. Remember the promises that God is trustworthy, that he will never leave us or forsake us, and that Jesus has overcome the world. If you're in Jesus today, you can have truth in your heart to know that because Jesus overcame the world, you too will overcome this world. You too will overcome Jesus, overcame sin and death and the grave for you and I, that we could walk in fullness of life, that we could live fully surrendered lives to Jesus. And that's what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is all about, is bringing human flourishing into a place where we can walk in that and we can be lights to those around us. We can share the love and the life-giving power of Christ wherever we go. Look now as we move to verse 3, what David does. He makes this plea and this cry to God. He tells him, man, this struggle is real. I'm honest about it. But he moves out of his honest doubt, and he takes his despair. And look what he does. He flips his despair into prayer. Look at it with me now in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the deep sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David, as if he makes his plea here, as if he was Psalm 121 was on the tip of his tongue. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's if David takes all of his despair, all of his doubt, and he simply flips it to God in prayer. Friends, prayer is taking all of our despair, all of our struggle, and just giving it back to God. Prayer is saying, hey, I'm going to give this burden over to you, God. I'm not going to try to own this. I'm not going to try to resolve this. I'm not going to try to work this out on my own. Because, God, you're the one who created all things. You sustain all things. You uphold it by the word of your power. And I'm trusting in you today. I'm going to give back my burden to you in prayer. David, it's like David has gone down to the holy uh, Melamore, right? You guys gone to Melamore? 
You know what those are, right? Where you go and you ship packages. I used to ship a lot of packages when I was doing my, doing my uh, business. We would ship out. We would have internet orders coming on. So we go down to Mail and More. If you go to Mail and More and you're shipping something out, you have to take a box and you get whatever size you want and then you have to construct this box. You tape it up. You put all these packages in to this big box is the way we would try to do it, and we would ship it off. And so what I imagine here is David, he's getting down to mail and more. He's got, he gets the biggest box he could find. He gets the tape. He constructs this box. And then he begins to take all of his doubt. He says, I'm going to take my doubt, and I'm going to throw it in this box. I'm going to take my fear, and I'm going to dump it in this box. I'm going to take my anxiety. I'm going to take my depression. I'm going to take my despair. And I'm going to put it in this box. And then he's going to seal it up, tape it across. He's going to write, to Father God, on the top of it. And he's going to say, let's ship all of this on because it's not my burden to carry anymore. I'm giving it to God in faith through prayer. Friend, we have access to the God of the universe in prayer. We have the power in us. To access God who wants to change our lives, who wants to use us in powerful ways to impact our workplace, to impact our neighborhood, to impact the coffee shop where we're working, to impact our families and to see our lives changed by his power. See, giving our despair to God in prayer has the power to change things. Prayer has the power to change things. How many of you have experienced the power of prayer changing things in your life? Yeah, yeah, we experience the power of prayer in our lives. That's why we make it a point here to pray at the end of every service because we know that God moves through prayer, that God changes hearts, that God changes circumstance, that he rearranges families, puts families back together, and then he makes all things new in Jesus. That's why we come to him in prayer. David flips all of his despair into prayer. He goes to the God who can change as Brother James teaches us that the powerful prayers of the righteous, the fervent prayers have power as they are working. Press into prayer. I encourage you, press into prayer. God wants to commune with us in prayer. And prayer has the power to change. Prayer is often at times my last resort. It's like, man, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to try to move all the circumstances around in my life. I'm going to try to move these pieces so that I can work it out in my own strength, in my own wisdom. And man, we need to say, like James, where we lack it, God, give me wisdom of how to handle this. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting that you're going to change my situation. Why do we do that? Why do we wait when we have an access line to the Father? We have an access line to the Father. Many fathers in here today, you know that when your children are struggling, when they're burdened, you can see it, something in their life is weighing them down. Man, you're burdened by that as well. You're burdened. You're ready to step in. You want to help them so bad. You want to to do that. I have four kids, three boys and a girl. And man, when I see them struggling with what life's bringing in their path, I just want to try to jump in and take, take hold and make it and shake them around and do what I can do. Man, that's operating in the flesh. That's operating in my own strength. And what God wants us to do is give it back to him, trust that he can move in prayer, that he wants to come invade the spaces of our lives with his power, invade the spaces of our lives 
to rearrange things for his glory and for our good. That's what our God wants to do. He's our father. How much more does a heavenly father concern for his earthly children if we are just being sinful earthly fathers concerned with the struggles of our earthly children? God loves us. He wants to take that burden. He wants to remove it. And he says, give it back to me. Give it back to me now in prayer. Man, we can be confident that when we pray, God is hearing our prayers. We can be confident. You know why? Because Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He now is seated. There's a reason why he's seated in heaven. His work is finished. He's seated and now he just makes intercession for us. Actively praying. Like right now, Jesus is praying over us. Man, mind-blowing. Jesus, the one who came and entered into this space, the God-man, died in our place, rose defeating Satan in the grave, now lives to make intercession for you and me, friend. He's praying to the Father on our behalf. That's the God we serve. That's the God we live for. That's the God that makes us lay down our lives in total surrender to him, to live a life on mission with Jesus, to walk with Jesus. The power that he's given us is that he is interceding for us. He is going to God in prayer for us. He's the one, as Psalm 68, 5, is the defender of the weak. He's the one that is the warrior. He fights for us on our behalf. And that's what David flips his despair into prayer. I challenge us today. Can we flip our despair into prayer? What's going on in your life today that's putting the full court press on you and making you feel like there's no hope? What is it? Is it something in your marriage? Is it children that have gone wayward? Is it a person in the workplace that is driving you bananas? What is it? Is it your financial situation? I don't know what it is. Is it having all kinds of vehicle problems throughout the week like mine was this week? I could not get my vehicles to run. Whatever's causing you to despair and feel alone, we're not alone. And David teaches us, lean in now to Jesus. Lean into the Father. I'm going to worship you even when I don't feel like I want to. David is resolved here and he's quickened in his heart. I want to worship you because my faith is not rooted in my circumstances, but it's rooted in the God who's over all my circumstances. See, our faith is not just Pollyanna, pie in the sky belief that everything's going to work out. Our faith is rooted in a person and his name is Jesus. And he's already defeated everything that can come against us. And so we have hope that always sings over us today. If you're in Christ, you have hope that sings over you. Hope that is eternal. And finally, we now have to resolve to trust in this God of hope, to trust in Jesus. Verses five and six as we close. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It appears now that God has answered David's plea for help. 
He has been troubled in verses 1 and 2. He prays in the next few verses. And then now David begins to put his hope in Jesus. He begins to sing and rejoice in triumph. That word rejoice can actually be translated triumph. He's rejoicing in the God of his salvation. David is preaching the gospel to himself here, right? Have you ever heard that term? We need to gospel one another. It means we need to preach the goodness of God's grace to one another because in this we see David finding hope, finding joy in the salvation of his God. The gospel is the good news, friend, that because you have wrecked your life in sin, that Jesus came, stepped into your place. He died for your sins, defeating Satan in the grave. He is risen now. And by grace, through faith, you can too. You can walk a new life. There's people in here all around who've experienced new life in Christ. Preach the gospel. If the gospel can't get you on fire in your heart, then we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. We need to ask for clear understanding because Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And he's here today, and he wants you to know him. He wants you to experience life. David's faith now rising from despair. I have trusted in your steadfast love. See, faith draws hope out of experience. How many of you know walking with Jesus, you've seen God move in your life time and time time again? You've been walking with Jesus for a long time by his grace, and I'm 40, going on 40 years old next month. And I've seen Jesus step into places like I described earlier time and time again. That's what Jesus has done for us, and he does it eternally for you and I, that we can continue to walk in faith and walk out our faith and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as we journey with him. See, trusting in Jesus and his steadfast love, our faith begins to be energized. We draw hope out of our experience. Because the truth is, friends, that God has never failed anyone. So why in the world would he start with you? Why in the world would he start with me? God's never failed anyone that's cried out to him in prayer. God didn't fail David. He hasn't failed me. He won't fail you. He's not going to start failing because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can bank on that. Can you say amen to that? We can bank that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my heart, David says, is going to rejoice in your salvation. My heart is going to triumph over my despair, triumph over my problems. I'm going to triumph in worship now. He's moved from being troubled, from being on the brink of despair, now to worshiping the God of his salvation. He's worshiping the God of his salvation here in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's been good to me. How many of you know that you've experienced God's mercies new every day? Yeah, every day he's good to us, every day. See what God says to us through Paul later in Romans about living our lives in light of this goodness, in light of what Christ has done, in light of God's generosity and pouring out his goodness and mercy on us is that in view of this great mercy, He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. I want you to take your sleeping, your eating, your working. And I want you now to live that life as an offering of worship 
back to me. That's what David has resolved to do. David has resolved to trust because faith has arisen up in his heart based on the God of his salvation. He's going to trust. He's going to pull me through. The same as for you and me today. Wherever you're at in this place today, wherever you are in your life, if your family is on the verge of being split apart, man, if your kids are wayward and they would, you would categorize them as rebellious kids, the running after the things of this world, not trusting that Jesus is better, Man, if you're in a place of despair and you're depressed and your mind, anxiety is overwhelming you, you can trust in Jesus today. To trust in Jesus, friend, is to believe that your present circumstance is not your ultimate reality. Your present circumstance does not define who you are in Jesus. Jesus already defines you as victorious over sin, victorious, a son of the Most High King. And that changes the way we live our lives. That changes the way we live now in response to God's grace. And so David worships into this place where his heart now responds to God in faith and trust. And friend, today, we need to trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus. His words are true. Yeah, the struggle is real. Life is tough. But guess what? God has sent his spirit to empower us to live a life that's as big as he is, to live a life for him. It's tough. We need to press in. We need to change our despair into prayer. And then we need to resolve in our hearts that we're going to believe what God's word says is true and we're going to trust him. And friend, when we do that, we're going to see that God's going to meet us in our need, that we're going to continue to rise to the next step. We're going to move beyond where we are. It's tough. Brother David teaches us, press in. I don't know where you are today, but we're going to spend some time now responding. And I want to ask you, will you trust him today? Will you resolve to trust Jesus today wherever you need to trust him?